Right, so at the end of a long year, and we've been asking some of these questions throughout our Advent series, but I, I have to ask, I think it's wise to stop and ask on the cusp of something new and ask this question. What am I really looking for? Many of you probably, because we're conditioned in the West to think of resolutions and what's going to be our resolutions for next year, you begin to look back and say, what am I really looking for out of life? Now, once you answer that question, I think you need to ask yourself a follow-up question. And I think it needs to be something like this. Whatever it is that I'm looking for, whatever it is that you're looking for, have you found it yet? Have you found it? I want you to consider this. Maybe today you can come to the conclusion that you were created to find such deeper meaning and deeper happiness than whatever your conception is right now. That you were created to find a deeper and truer happiness than whatever it is that you just answered to that question. Maybe that is why at the end of another year, you still feel unfulfilled. On this fifth Advent Sunday, the church throughout history has typically looked at a text that's after the birth of Jesus. Today, I've selected for you the text of Jesus' eighth day of incarnation. Now, in first century Middle Eastern Jewish culture, you know what families did on the eighth day? We see them doing what Mary and Joseph did. They take their, their boy child to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. Mary and Joseph have left Bethlehem for Jerusalem. Because Mary and Joseph love God. They fear God. They hear God's word. They act on God's word. They know God's word tells them, go to the temple on the eighth day and dedicate the child. So they arrive at the temple, and upon their entry, their lives intersect with two people who have devoted their entire lives to God. And through these two people, we're going to close up and wrap up our Advent series to see what it is that really you are looking for underneath it all underneath all the relationships, underneath all the presence, underneath all the, the pursuit of new jobs, new positions, more money, more security, what it is underneath it all that you are really looking for. Jesus is the one that you and I, Simeon and Anna, he's the one that we are really looking for because we are made in the image of God with a cross-shaped void. Let's get to our proposition today. So our proposition, remember, this is the idea that I try to condense the teaching of a text into a simple sentence. I hope it's simple for you to see. And I believe that this is what the gospel writer wants you to get out of today's text. That Jesus is the long-expected consolation and redemption of his people. And that is good news here on the final day of the year. So today, we're going to take a look at three obstructions that you and I have to seeing, seeing Jesus the way we ought to, the way he was intended to be seen. And this continues on that here at Heritage, in our church environment, we try to be very open, very authentic about struggles that we have, obstructions, right, pitfalls to living well for Jesus in this world. So today we're going to look at three of them, and they are aging, suffering, and adversity. All three of them have the potential to obstruct your view of Jesus. Then we're going to see two things that God accomplishes in and through his son, which is consolation and then redemption. Now, by consolation, what we mean by is simply encouragement, that Jesus at the bottom of it all is the encouragement you're looking for. 
not that $4.95 Hallmark card that you received in the mail this week. Underneath all of that, you're really looking for Jesus to encourage your soul. Now, by redemption, I want you to picture a hostage crisis that's in need of ransoming. And what is actually held in bondage, what is actually held ransom is your soul, who you really are underneath it all. And it is being held hostage by none less than your own body, your own nature, your desires. And the thing is, you do not have the amount of money or commodity or credit to be able to ransom your own soul. And this is where Jesus comes in. This is why Jesus, of course, he is God. But he had to become man. He had to become a human being so that he can pay the right currency, the right credit, the right commodity for our ransoming. So here at the end of the year, if you have not experienced Jesus yet as that consolation that your soul is looking for, or that redemption to free yourself just from this, your own struggles that you face time and time again, I pray that God will put you in a different position here at li literally the end of the year and the start of another. Let's get started with Luke 2 now. Let's take a look at our first point. And what we're going to see is that Simeon expected to see God console his people. So we're introduced to a man named Simeon, right? Now, Simeon is also old. He is also a senior citizen. He has lived a long life for God. Now, through Simeon, we are introduced to the first obstruction for you and I to see Jesus as we should, as we are as the one that we are really looking for underneath it all. Now, in the West, we have this concept that's called retirement, right? And many of us, the older we get, we start talking about how many years you got left, like we're in prison or something, right? <laughs> you work for 30 years, you retire, you get paid some money back from the government that you gave to them over those 30 years. You don't get it all back. You get some of it back. And then you get paid back from whatever investment company, if you invested over those 30 years, and then whatever interest you've accrued over that time, you get that back in the little manageable monthly chunks to help you live this life of leisure that America tells you to live. Now, you and I are conditioned here in the West, the sophisticated American culture, to think that after 30 years of working and working hard, at the 30th year, you stop and you turn to a life of leisure, and you turn to a life of comfort with no commitment, right? <laughs> this sentiment clashes sharply with the gospel and with Christianity. But here's the thing, and that's why I said I wanted you to picture that your soul isn't a hostage to your body, to your nature, because our nature wants that, right? We've spoken many times. We've been on to talk about we don't want anybody to rule over us. We want to be our own little gods, our own little kings in charge of our own lives. The, the thought of any other authority over us, man, we will throw your tea into the harbor if you want to rule over us, right? That's who we are as Americans in the West. But the sentiment clashes with Christianity. And some church attenders in America, what they do is that they apply this same concept to their relationship with Jesus and to the body of Jesus, which is called the church. They no longer think that they have to live anymore after year 30, whatever it is that you retire, 
for Jesus and his church because you apply workplace to community. But think about it this way. Psalm 121 tells us that our God never sleeps or slumbers. Right? You know the past couple weeks we finally um, brought home another puppy. I've had many sleepless nights. Like I have three hours at a time for the past couple weeks. The thought that God never sleeps and never slumbers is astounding to me. Like, I can't even live on three. I can't imagine living on zero. That's why he's God and I'm not. Our God never sleeps and never slumbers, and he is the perfect balance between enjoying and working. You see, God never retires. Do you see that? But in even more, remember, we are not merely or only byproducts of evolution. You and I are handcrafted, tailor-made in the image of God. God is the perfect balance of enjoying and working. Every day he is accomplishing his purposes and he never stops. Now, we don't see America's attitude, thankfully, in Simeon, right? Though we do not know how old Simeon is precisely in this text today, let's learn some essential things about him in verse 25. Luke tells us that he lived in Jerusalem, that he was righteous, that he was devout. Here's the critical phrase. Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So it's clear, right? Simeon in his old age, whatever his age was, he was still looking for something. Still haven't found what you're looking for, right? He was looking for the consolation of Israel. Simeon has lived long enough to know that comfort and encouragement is not primarily found in retirement. Encouragement and consolation is found best in experiencing God's Son, Messiah. And that can happen whether you're in the busiest season of your life or if you're truly in vocational retirement. And this is something that I pray that our church continues to learn and to lean on. Even though Simeon is an old man, he is still active and he is still on the lookout for God to do something. He is not retired from God. He is still looking for God to do something in this life. And here's what it means for us. 2024 is not the year for you to take a step back, but to take some steps forward. That's what that means for us. This is not the year for you to retire and scale back. I've been doing this for church all year long, so I, now I need to stop. I need to take a step back from my service to God. I need to take a step forward. That would be applying America's concept versus Simeon's concept. Can you imagine God saying that to you? Oh, man, I've been working in Pastor Joe's life for X amount of years. I'm done. I've put in a lot of hard work. Don't I deserve some time off for myself? Don't I enjoy some Sabbath rest? Hasn't my son done enough? How ludicrous does that sound, right? And it sounds crazy, whether it comes from us or from God. 2024 is the year that we are still looking for God to move. Amen? Because God is not done reinvigorating life into this church that has been around since 1950. God is not done yet. And his plans involve you. Simeon, at his old age, was actively looking forward for God to do something. And let's see God fulfill that expectation. 
In verse 26, Luke tells us that it was revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of Man. Simeon's consolation is this. Before he would pass away, he would see Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of Man. This elderly Jewish man was consoled. He was encouraged in his soul with the idea that he would see Messiah before his death. This is what kept Simeon going. Not that weekly contribution backed him from his IRA, but the expectation that he would see Jesus. Jesus was what Simeon was really looking for. And when you realize today that what you're really looking for in life isn't another pay raise, isn't more money, a better marriage, well-behaved kids, amen, <laughs> more time for yourself, more time for your hobbies, more time to build your own kingdom, it is then, ironically but biblically, that you will find your soul truly consoled in Jesus. Let's take a look at verse 27 and 28. Luke says that Simeon came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, this is amazing, that he took him into his arms and blessed God. I can't imagine what Mary felt in this moment. Like this is Jesus' eighth day of incarnation in the flesh. And a random stranger comes up in the temple and says, give me that boy. But Mary was accustomed from the very day that she would hear that she had conceived and there's a child in her womb, that this child was different, right? And we talked about that this Christmas as well. And God, as always, has stayed true to his word. So God the Spirit directs Simeon into the temple at the precise time that Mary and Joseph are coming in to carry out the duties of the law for Jesus. And Simeon gets to see Messiah face to face. And even more, Simeon gets to hold Messiah in his arms. Someone so strong, becoming so weak. Someone who is eternal and endless, looking so young and fresh, right? Old man Simeon is holding in his arms the child that is eternal and the child who would also save him from his sins. God fulfilled his promises to Simeon. And what I want to encourage you and console you with today is that there's nothing special about Simeon. He bleeds red just like you and just like me. What is unique about Simeon, though, is that he, underneath it all, he realized that God is what he's looking for. That's what made him unique. But take a look at what Simeon does in response to this. Because as we've been talking about this Advent, we're going to see Simeon just burst out in praise. Let's look at verses 29 to 32 now. Here's what he says. He says, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon has seen Jesus, his salvation, just as God had promised and that is true consolation heritage. That is the true encouragement for your soul. When you trust in God's promises, whatever station, whatever stage you are in life, 
and then you get to see God fulfill that promise, that consoles, that does something in the soul like nothing else. Look at what Simeon says, though, about Jesus. He says that Jesus is light to the Gentiles. That's you, and that's me. It's not a derogatory term. It just means something that's anyone who's not Jewish. He's light to the Gentiles, which implies that we are in the dark about something, naturally. And then he's also glory to Israel. What this means is that Jesus is salvation. Jesus is consolation for all kinds of people, not just the literal sons and daughters of Abraham, Israel, physical Israel, but for people like you, for people like me. Now, you think Simeon's cup would be full at this point, right? It's time for him to ride off into the sunset, right? But he's not done yet. He does not stop praising God. And as we've been talking about with the old C.S. Lewis illustration, praise is incomplete until you talk to people about it, right? How many times have you told people what you got for Christmas? And most likely the very first thing that you mention to people is what you have enjoyed the most, right? Because praise is incomplete until you tell people about it. So we see Simeon's praise become completed in talking to Mary. Which is what we turn to next. Let's look at verses 33 through 35. It says that his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about Jesus. And then Simeon blessed them, and then he speaks to Mary, his mother. And here's what he says to Mary. Eighth day of being a mom. Can't imagine. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and then the rise of many in Israel for a sign to be opposed, and then a sword will pierce even your own soul. And to a degree, every mom says amen to that, right? To the end, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. On the eighth day of being a mom, Mary hears what her son will do, what is going to happen to her son, and what it's going to do to her soul, the deepest part of her being, who she really is underneath it all. Many are going to fall, and many are going to rise because of Jesus. Well, this means that Jesus is going to be polarizing, whether it's first century Middle East, or even still today in 21st century America. When someone truly says things about Jesus, it's going to be polarizing to you. You're going to have a, a sharp reaction to it. How dare he say something like that to me, right? You may have already felt that somewhere in your heart of hearts. Simeon tells us right now, this guy, this Savior, is going to be responsible for the fall of many, but then also for the rise. He's going to be opposed. His words, his life is going to be opposed. And then he tells Mary that something is going to happen to Jesus that's going to cut her way beyond flesh, deep down into the soul. God used old man Simeon as a prophet in one of the final moments of his life. Simeon prophesies Jesus' upcoming crucifixion and what that crucifixion is going to do to Mary. We know as gospel readers that Mary is there at the cross, one of the few people who loved and followed Jesus. She's one of the few there at the cross watching the horrors of her son hanging. I cannot imagine what it's like. I think that's a mother's worst nightmare, right? But here's the thing, Heritage. What this means for you is that I encourage you, do not let another year lull you to complacency. 
And also, don't believe that the cultural value here in America, that you are to retire. Every year goes on, you do less and less. I grieve over our older generation of things. You do less and less at the older you get. It should be, no, you're freed up to do more and more, especially for the Lord Jesus, when you don't have to tie down to a nine to five, or for me, a 10 to six, Monday through Friday. Now imagine what would happen to your life if God retired and gave up on you. Can you fathom what that would mean? Imagine if Simeon believed the Americana value and what his life would have looked like. He would have missed out on experiencing Jesus as the encouragement that his soul really needed. And likewise, if you give in to it, you will miss out on experiencing Jesus as the consolation that you are really looking for underneath it all. All right, so that's Simeon. Let's get to Anna now in our second point. We're going to see that Anna expected to see God redeem his people. So we're shifting to Anna now, and we learn that Anna is old as well. Let's look at verses 36 and 37. Luke tells us there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and here it is, she's advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Despite being old, Anna still served God. Do you see that? It's like she did less and less for God the older that she got. She did more and more. Likewise so should you. She was a prophetess. She dedicated her life to God by serving in the temple. She fasted and prayed for people, for God's will and way to, to be done in him and others. But right now, I don't want to focus on her age. I did that with Simeon already. What I want you to see is how this Jewish woman suffered. Can we think about that and see that for a moment? You can see she was happily married for seven years. Do you see that? She had a husband for seven years, and then, though Luke does not tell us, he died. If romance and if marriage was what Anna was really looking for, she would have died with her husband. If romantic relationships was the chief end of life, then she's done. I do not know how old Anna was when she married. I do know that first century, Middle Eastern, traditional societies married women off young. And we also do know that she lost her husband in her seventh year. Could she be early, mid-twenties? Maybe. Maybe. For a moment, can you imagine the pain that Anna went through? Marriage is a man and a woman a single man and a single woman becoming one through mutual self-giving to one another exclusively through the abandonment of self to advance the other person. That's marriage. Anna did that. She became one with her husband, and then God took her husband away. Because we believe at heritage, it's not just prosperity that comes through the hands of God, it is also suffering. It's not just the promises, it's also the pain. And that kind of pain, as we close 2023, it hits close here to Heritage, does it not? Here's what I've discovered 
after serving churches for 25 years, and especially in my eight years here as your pastor at Heritage, when a churchgoer in America experiences pain and suffering, and there's many different forms of it, one of the very first things that they do is they drop out of God and they drop out of church. Many of your testimonies have been that as well, right? Now, I've heard it all. God wants me to leave the church. I've heard that. That's the number one thing that I hear when they're struggling. They'll say, I still pray to God. I can experience God anywhere. I don't need to go to a location to experience God. I've also heard, I've given enough time this year or in the season of life. I've done my time. Now, once again, can you imagine our great God saying that to you? In our Father's highest and deepest pain, also, I think explicitly enough for you, is also the time where he was the most giving. Do you see that? The time when he had to forsake his son, pour out wrath on his son instead of us, the deepest moment of his pain and suffering was also when our God was the most giving. Do you see that? That's our paradigm. That's our example. Here's something we're going to learn beginning next Sunday about pain and suffering and then moving forward. Pain and suffering have the potential to destroy your perception of reality. When pain and suffering comes your way, because it doesn't matter what station of life you are in, pain and suffering of some forms and varieties are going to come your way. Here's what you're going to need to do. You need to already, in the here and now, before the pain, before the suffering comes, you need to establish what do you believe about life? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about suffering? And what do you believe about community? If not, when the pain and suffering comes, you will distance yourself from God. And you will distance yourself from community. Pain screams so loudly that you can't hear anything else. You cannot hear the gentle whispers of God's love. So in times of pain and suffering, you have to rely what you've already resolved on in your heart. What do we see Anna do? She didn't leave the temple because of her pain. She did not give up serving God because she was a widow. Do you see that? She dedicated herself all the more to God. What a woman. From the seventh year of marriage up until year 84, she is still serving God. What an example. Now here is something else that we are going to learn about pain and suffering. Pain and suffering are used by God to reveal and to confirm what it is that you truly value. What is it you really rely on? When there's not pain and suffering in your life, you can live in multiple worlds. You can be dad, you can be mom, you can be spouse, you can be an employee, you can be a friend, you can do church, you can do your hobbies. You can do all of that when pain, and, when pain and suffering is absent. But when pain and suffering come, the fires consume everything that really isn't bedrock. It burns off all the excess. And in that moment, if God and Jesus and community 
are not true values, are not the bedrock of your life, pain and suffering is going to expose it. And what this means for Anna is that romance, romantic relationships, marriage was not what Anna was really looking for out of life. That is why when her husband died in their seventh year, she began serving God more. Because underneath it all, God was her ultimate husbandman. And look what God did in her life. He redeemed her. He ransomed her. As we've been saying all Advent, God gave Anna a place at his table and a purpose in his kingdom. And let's see it in verse 38. It says, at that very moment, she came up, began giving thanks to God, continued to speak of him to all of those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. As Simeon leaves Mary and Joseph, Anna comes up. Same time, sees Jesus, her redeemer. Anna is old. Anna is barren. Anna is widowed. And look what Anna does. She praises God, just like Simeon. So here on the fifth Sunday of Advent, do you get it now? That life is praise, your reason for living is praise? It's natural. You get something that you find to be awesome, you praise it. You talk to people about it. From Psalms 113, and so here, the final Sunday of the year, you must see that you were created to praise God. Anna gets that her life is praise. Praise for who God is and praise for what he has done. Anna then speaks to, about Jesus to all who are in the temple who are looking for redemption, who knows that their souls are tied down and there's nothing that they can do to negotiate its release. Anna cannot help but speak about Jesus to others. Why is that? Because that is how God created Anna and you and me. We cannot help but talk about what we truly treasure. That's why Jesus would say, that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Simeon found Jesus to be his consolation. Anna found Jesus to be her redemption. Anna must have known, Psalm 113, that one day king would become pauper, God would take on flesh to make an old and barren woman rejoice. Jesus takes on flesh to give Anna that place at his table and a purpose in his kingdom. Jesus did this for Simeon as well. And I pray that on this final day of the year that you will experience Jesus as your consolation and your redemption. Now let's get to our application, okay? The call today for you, before we leave this place and throughout the day today, this final day of the year is this, is for you to look to God to fulfill the deepest need, the truest need, and to fulfill it in his son. Simeon did not look for his ultimate consolation outside of God. Simeon did not find his ultimate comfort in the words and promises of others, as sweet as they are, as tender as they are, as life-giving and necessary as they are. They're not ultimate, and he didn't find his ultimate consolation in it. But he found it in the words and promises of God. Anna, likewise, did not find her ultimate redemption outside of God. Now, for a woman in a traditional Middle Eastern society, this would be unheard of. Actually, in the Roman Empire at this point, this is really crazy. There were decrees from Caesar that when a woman was widowed, she would have a year 
and then she has to get married again. Because a woman's function was only found in the family for procreation. Anna did not remarry. So imagine that cultural stigma that she would have from the 20s all the way to 84. This widow who never remarried. How hampered she would be socially and economically because she didn't tie her wagon to another man. But God took care of her all the way to 84 until the day she sees Jesus. Now, in the beginning of today's preaching, I told you that we're going to look at three obstructions, right? And we have looked at two, aging and suffering. We're going to take a look at our final obstacle and seeing Jesus as the one that you really need. And for this, we're going to go take a look at John the Baptist. On the third Sunday of Advent, a couple weeks ago, we looked at John the Baptist's conception. We learned that John would be the one who would prepare his people for Messiah. We learned about his mom, Elizabeth, who was also advanced in years, right? This, this holy couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they served God, they loved God, but they were old and barren. And we learned how God fulfilled Psalm 113 through Elizabeth, that king would take on flesh, and that he would take the barren and make her a joyful mother. We know that John would grow up to have an incredible preaching ministry, right? He called on Israel, and he called out Israel to repent, to prepare their lives for the coming of Messiah. And we've read, because we've gone through the Gospel of John together, right? That when, when John was preaching on the Jordan and he sees Jesus, he points at Jesus and says, Lamb of God, right? God used John to baptize his son. Today, we're going to take a look at a text later on in John's life. What we consider to be perhaps one of his final moments, maybe his final hours, or maybe his final days. These are moments before John the Baptist is murdered, beheaded. And with it, we are introduced to the third obstruction to seeing Jesus as we should, as the one that we really need. I want to contrast John's high-profile ministry and belief in Jesus with what you're about to see. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Matthew tells us that when John, while he was imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ, of Jesus, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one? Or shall we look for someone else? What? How does John go from, Jesus, you're the Lamb of God, to, are you the one we've been waiting for? John is in prison. He sends one of his disciples to Jesus to ask a question. Are you the expected one? Shall we be looking for someone else? John, we read this a couple weeks ago, he leapt in his mother's womb when Mary arrived. With Jesus in her room. John looked at Jesus and said, he must increase and I must decrease. John said to others, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. John baptized Jesus. He heard God the Father's voice saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He saw the Holy Spirit descend as a dove on Jesus at his baptism. And right now, John is not so sure about Jesus. Do you see that? 
what has happened to John? Adversity has happened. Because adversity is a fire that rages in John and in us. John is in prison right now because he preached against the life and conduct of a person in power. The worst that happens to us these days is that we maybe lose followers, people unfriend us, unfollow us, or even we get blocked from social media. In first century Middle Eastern traditional societies, you speak against those in power, this is what happens. John preached against the sexual ethics of those in power. So hours or maybe days from this text, John will be beheaded by King Herod. Adversity right now is obstructing John's view of Jesus as the one that he was expecting. And before this point, John would say, I'm a, I have assurance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, right? Lamb of God, he's increasing, I'm decreasing. My joy is in him. And now he's like, are you? Are you the one? But what I want you to do right now is take a look at Jesus' response. So I do pray that you'd find encouragement in this and all the more motivation to go to Jesus as the one you're really looking for versus other things. Because I believe that no one will respond to you like Jesus responds to John here. Verses 4 through 6. Jesus tells John's disciple to go back to John, visit him, and say this to him. Go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And that means does not view me as a stumbling block to trip over. We do not find Jesus condemning John in his lowest point in life. Do you see that? We don't see Jesus scolding John because he doesn't have the perfect Christological point of view of Jesus. We find Jesus encouraging John at his lowest point in life in prison. And he does this by redirecting John to look back at what Jesus has already said and what Jesus has already done. Jesus tells John, look at me. Look what I have said. Look what I have done. I am the expected one. I am the one that you are looking for. So Heritage, I know the layers of adversity that you are facing right now, physically, relationally, relationally, right? Don't let adversity cause you to doubt Jesus as the one you are looking for. But here's the thing. If it happened to John, at some point, adversity is going to tempt you to feel like this too. Should I really be doing this for church? Should I really be living like this for God? Is Jesus, are, the, are the stories really true? Adversity does that. Jesus is still saying this to you. From John, through Luke, to you still today, Jesus says, look back at what I have said. Look back to what I have done. Heritage, you have survived a lot of adversity in 2023. And as your pastor, I know the majority of those adversities are carrying over into 2024. It's not like new calendar, yay, right? New year, same challenges, right? 
Adversity will challenge what you believe. Adversity will tempt you to think that the grass is greener on the other side. If you just go back to how life was before, this whole thing we've been doing together, adversity will tempt you to give up on God and church family. And when this happens, Heritage, we have to be clear with each other. You must look back to what Jesus has already said and what he has already done. So let's do this for a moment. The blind see. Blind men stood before Jesus. Sometimes he just said, be open. Blindness open. Sometimes, strangely enough, some mud, rub it on the eyes, wash in a pool, you can see. In Jesus, the blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are healed. The untouchable are touched. The deaf hear. And most importantly, the dead are raised. And the gospel is preached to the poor. But I believe that we have an advantage that John the Baptist did not have. We have 2,000 years of history, including something that John did not experience because he was beheaded, which was the crucifixion and the resurrection of the one who said to him, I am the expected one. So Heritage, what greater adversity are you facing that is greater than death? That adversity will come one day, but it's not here today. I don't believe. What greater adversity are you facing today than death? And here's the logic. If Jesus conquered death, the highest adversity, what can Jesus do in the adversities that you are experiencing today? Do you get it? In your adversities, you can find Jesus to be the one that you are really looking for, your consolation and your redemption. Even as you age, even as you suffer, and even in and for your adversity. Jesus is the expected one. He is the one that you're really looking for underneath it all. So don't let your age, don't let your suffering, and don't let adversity bring you down and keep you down for long. Look to Jesus in your age, in your pain, and in your adversity, and you will find ultimate consolation and redemption in him.